Hey, welcome back everybody to the podcast. If you follow me closely, you might notice that this podcast is, well, over a week from my last. And that's pretty atypical. I try to do a podcast at least about every four or five days or so, especially when there's a lot of stuff in print. Well, don't worry, I haven't been MIA and I'm not hiding in seclusion, but I am getting over this horrific bout of bronchitis. So we'll see how this podcast goes. And no, thankfully, I know it's not coronavirus because I did have the very pleasant nasal swab that goes way back in there and it did come back negative. So it's not coronavirus as far as I know, just bronchitis. So, nonetheless, now that I'm better, we're back to business. And in this podcast, we're going to cover a new committee opinion from the college that's coming out December 2020. Now, the college has actually done this topic before, which is delayed umbilical cord clamping. But, as always, information keeps changing, so we're going to highlight three specific areas that ACOG has now expanded information on regarding delayed umbilical cord clamping. The first is this issue of milking of the cord, especially in preterm neonates. Now, I actually did a podcast when that data came out in 2019, but it's made its way into the new committee opinion. Is that a good thing to do? Should we be milking the umbilical cord towards these extremely premature infants? Well, we're going to get into that. The second area has to do with blood banking after delayed cord clamping. Is blood banking affected by a delayed cord clamp? And third is delayed cord clamping in multiple gestations. Is there data for that? So let's cover each one of these three topics out of the new committee opinion, which is number 814 now. This new committee opinion from the college replaces the one from January of 2017, almost three years ago. Recent randomized control trials of term and preterm infants, as well as physiological studies of blood volume, oxygenation, and arterial pressure, have evaluated the effects of immediate versus delayed umbilical cord clamping. Now, that's usually defined as clamping of the cord after delivery after at least 30 to 60 seconds after birth. Delayed umbilical cord clamping appears to be beneficial for both term and preterm infants. In term infants, delayed umbilical cord clamping increases hemoglobin levels at birth and improves iron stores in the first several months of life, which may have a favorable effect on the developmental outcomes. In preterm infants, rates of intraventricular hemorrhage and necrotizing enterocolitis are lower, and fewer newborns require transfusion when delayed umbilical cord clamping is employed. So, there is a growing body of evidence that has led to a number of professional organizations to recommend delayed umbilical cord clamping in term and preterm infants if resuscitation is not needed. Now, for example, the World Health Organization recommends that the umbilical cord not be clamped earlier than one minute after birth in both term and preterm infants, again, who do not require positive pressure ventilation or other resuscitative efforts. The recent neonatal resuscitation program guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend delayed umbilical cord clamping for at least 30 seconds to 60 seconds for most vigorous term and preterm infants. 
And even the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists also recommends deferring the umbilical cord clamp for healthy term and preterm infants, but they give a time reference of at least two minutes. Now, one of the longest recommendations for delayed cord clamping comes from the American College of Nurse Midwives that recommends delayed umbilical cord clamping for term and preterm infants for two up to five minutes after birth. Now, for those of you getting ready to sit for your certification exams or your oral boards, here's a little bit of minutia, but they're good numbers to actually remember in case you're asked. I used to ask this during the oral boards just to see who actually did their homework and to see if they really understood delayed umbilical cord clamping. Physiological studies in term infants have shown that the amount of blood that can be transferred from the placenta into the newborn by about one minute of age is about 80 mLs and can reach up to 100 mLs at three minutes. Now remember, we're talking about blood into a just a newborn, so 80 to 100 mLs of blood is actually a good amount of blood. The initial breaths taken by the newborn appear to facilitate this placental transfusion because the initial breaths of the baby are thought to cause negative intrathoracic pressure by lung inflation and that helps draw the blood into the newborn compartment. This additional blood supplies physiologic quantities of iron, and this extra iron has been shown to reduce and prevent iron deficiency during the first year of life. Now remember the clinical pearl, guys. Iron deficiency during infancy and childhood has been linked to impaired cognitive, motor, and behavioral development issues that may not be reversible. That's why this is important in both term and preterm newborns. A longer duration of placental transfusion after birth also facilitates transfer of immunoglobulins and stem cells, which are essential for tissue and organ repair. Now, the transfer of immunoglobulins and stem cells may be very beneficial after cellular injury or inflammation and organ dysfunction, which are common in preterm births. The magnitude of these benefits require further study, but this physiological reservoir of hematopoietic and pluripotential stem cells can provide therapeutic effects and benefits for the infant later on in life. All right, now let's talk about the position of the newborn during delayed umbilical cord clamping. Now, traditionally, it was thought that the baby had to be at the level of the uterus or at the placenta or slightly below in order to help facilitate this transfer from the placenta down into the baby. However, delayed umbilical cord clamping, which is very straightforward, does still occur even if the baby is placed on the mother for skin-to-skin contact. Remember, it was based on that original assumption that somehow gravity was necessary to facilitate that placental transfusion of blood. But a recent trial of healthy term infants born vaginally found that those newborns that were placed on the maternal abdomen or chest did not have lower volumes of transfusion compared with infants that were held at the level of the introitus. 
So this is good news. This means that you don't have to delay skin-to-skin contact as you await for that 30, 60, or maximum 180-second delay for the cord clamp. Now remember that as the baby cries, that increase in negative interthoracic pressure does help drive that placental blood into the baby. Plus, the pulse pressure of the mom should be sufficient to help facilitate this transfer of blood from the maternal to the newborn compartment. So no, you don't have to keep the baby at the level of the introitus or below. You can still facilitate delayed umbilical cord clamping with skin-to-skin contact with the baby being placed directly on the mom's abdomen or chest. All right, when we come back, let's take a look at umbilical cord milking with a special reference, a special note that's new in the committee opinion regarding a 2019 study of umbilical cord milking in extremely premature infants. Those are babies born between 23 and 27 weeks and a cautionary tale about milking of the umbilical cord in that special population. Umbilical cord milking, or stripping, has been considered as a method for achieving increased placental transfusion to the newborn in a shorter amount of time, up to about 10 to 15 seconds. It has particular appeal for circumstances in which the 30 or 60 second delay in umbilical cord clamping may be too long, such as when immediate infant resuscitation is needed or maternal hemodynamic instability occurs. However, umbilical cord milking has not been studied as rigorously as delayed umbilical cord clamping. A recent meta-analysis of seven studies that involved over 500 preterm infants compared umbilical cord milking with immediate cord clamping or with delayed umbilical cord clamping. The method of umbilical cord milking varied considerably in the trials in the number of times that the cord was milked, the length of the cord milked, and whether the cord was clamped before or after milking. The analysis found that infants in the umbilical cord milking groups had higher hemoglobin levels and decreased incidence of IVH with no increase in adverse effects. So that was good news. Subgroup analysis compared umbilical cord milking directly with delayed umbilical cord clamping, but it was not able to be carried out because of small numbers in those groups. Several subsequent studies have been published. In 2015, a trial that used term infants compared delayed umbilical cord clamping with umbilical cord milking and found that the two strategies had similar effects on hemoglobin and ferritin levels. In another 2015 study that evaluated infants born before 32 weeks, found that among those infants born by C-section, umbilical cord milking was associated with higher hemoglobin levels and improved blood pressure compared with those in delayed umbilical cord clamping. But the differences were not seen among those born vaginally, so that makes the study kind of hard to interpret. Now, here is the issue with extreme preterm infants, and here's a cautionary tale. In 2019, a new study looked at umbilical cord milking in extremely preterm infants. This study used about 474 infants, and it took a look at the effect of umbilical cord milking in the 23 to 27 weeks of gestation birth age. 
in the cord milking arm, there was more likely to develop intraventricular hemorrhage compared with similar infants in just a delayed umbilical cord clamping group. So given this very recent data, cord milking should not be used for extreme premature infants defined as less than 28 weeks. And there is just insufficient evidence whether or not to support or refute umbilical cord milking in infants born at 32 weeks of gestation or more, including term infants. So again, that's enough to do a clinical pearl. In 2019, the study that looked at umbilical cord milking in extreme premature infants found an increased rate of intraventricular hemorrhage. And ACOG says that there just isn't enough data to either support or refute umbilical cord milking in infants that are born at 32 weeks or more, and that includes term infants. Now, as point of clarification, before we move on to multiple gestations, remember, this doesn't mean not to do delayed umbilical cord clamping in the extremely premature newborns, all right? It does not mean don't do delayed umbilical cord clamping. It does mean don't milk the cord in those extremely premature births. So make that quick distinction there. Delayed umbilical cord clamping, as long as the baby is stable, is okay, but milking the blood into the newborn between the ages of 23 weeks and 27 weeks could cause too much physiological shifts and blood pressure changes that could break the germinal matrix. So, delayed cord clamping, yes. Milking of the cord, no. Okay, as we get to the end, let's talk about delayed umbilical cord clamping and multiple pregnancies. Is there data for this? Well, let's do that quick down and the nitty gritty. Currently, according to the college, there is not sufficient evidence to recommend for or against delayed umbilical cord clamping in multiple gestations. I mean, many of the clinical trials that evaluated delayed umbilical cord clamping just didn't include multiple gestations. So the truth is we, we just don't know. So theoretical risks exist for unfavorable hemodynamic changes during delayed umbilical cord clamping, especially in monochorionic multiple pregnancies. So again, at this time, there's just not sufficient evidence to recommend for or against this. So until the data tells us, don't do delayed umbilical cord clamping in multiple gestations. Okay, podcast family, we're down to our last section, which is the effect on umbilical cord blood banking. Now, I really do hope that this podcast has made sense. I mean, we put a lot of data in this podcast, and I got to tell you, I'm half goofy with Benadryl and Sudafed because of this bronchitis. So if I said something funky and I missed it in editing, please give me some grace. (laughs) I'm all full of Benadryl. Let's take a look at the effect of delayed umbilical cord clamping on umbilical cord blood collection. Now, this has recently been evaluated in a public umbilical cord blood bank setting. Now, the authors found that delaying umbilical cord clamping significantly decreased the volume and total nucleated cell counts of cord blood donation. Now, the proportion of units that met initial screening criteria decreased significantly from 39% with immediate umbilical cord clamping down to 17% in cases that had a 60-second delay in umbilical cord clamp. 
So here's a clinical pearl. In cases in which a patient and family are planning donation of the umbilical cord blood, then immediate cord clamping may increase the yield of cord blood obtained. However, in the absence of directed donation, the benefits to the infant of transfusion of this additional blood volume at birth likely exceeds the benefit of banking that volume for possible future use. So families who are considering banking of umbilical cord blood should be counseled accordingly. All right, everyone, I made it through a podcast recording, my goodness, full of medication, but hey, still worked, and I only coughed during the edited portions. So I hope again that you enjoyed this podcast. We've covered the committee opinion that's coming out in December of 2020 from the college, and this is number 814, delayed umbilical cord clamping after birth, with a focus on three areas. One, the issue in extreme premature births and milking. Second, multiple gestations. And three, the effect of delayed umbilical cord clamping on umbilical cord banking. So again, thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.